the hero factor is that special core fundamental that stands some companies apart to achieve true greatness. There's no better time than now to discover and revive your business story. Your origin story begins now. What does authenticity mean to you? How important is it to your business, to your culture, to your bottom line? How do you find if your employees are truly authentic? Well, we're going to find that out today. We're going to get real right here on The Hero Factor. I'm talking with Meg Mankey. She's a senior partner at the Rose Group International. She has a passion for helping others realize their full potential, breaking down social and personal barriers, changing their story. Her innate ability to recognize opportunity and weakness and present a strategic solution is unprecedented in today's world of business. Her studies in organizational psychology and mastery in leadership concepts ensure that your people are taken care of, period. So let's get real with Meg Mankey. So I want to start with a quote from my book, The Hero Factor, and it says as such, I think the thing that really tells you whether or not you're on the right track is what people say about you and your business at the bar. Because when people are a few beers in, or even if they're not, they're just comfortable enough to talk about things the way they want to talk about them. That's where you hear the most important things. Being in HR, I kind of base the success of the year in terms of employee engagement on the conversations that we would have. So if you've had people who were saying, you know, I just don't really feel good about this, or we work too many hours, or the equipment doesn't run right, or I don't like the policy changes, I would kind of know that we had to straighten some of that stuff up. I will say more often than not, of course, it was good. When you have an inspired employee, 10, 12, 15% extra effort means a huge thing to the bottom line but it's not something that can't be measured or can be measured the same way traditional performance indicators are. And that, of course, is what you said, Meg, when we interviewed you for the book. What do you think about a statement like that? Well, I said it, so I think I'm right. But uh, I think... That's good. That's that's a good position to take right off the bat. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it, it just is true over and over again. It's the things that you hear... Um, after 4 p.m. Uh, from people. And like I said, whether they've had a few drinks or not, they're going to tell you what they think. Um, and and I think the other thing that's really interesting about it that didn't really, I didn't put um, into the comment was that uh, if they trust you, you'll hear what you need to hear. And that's a really important part of uh, being an authentic leader is that you develop trust with with your workforce. So why do you think people aren't transparent in the conversation? That just blows me away because I'm probably one of the most transparent people that I know. I think you are as well, Meg. I, I, that's one of the reasons I really, I really like you is because you, you say things uh, and I say the things that most people are thinking. Why do you think most people are not transparent? Well, you know, as you said, we are a, a pair about being transparent, so it's probably not a mystery that we'll solve. But I guess my thought is um, people are scared. They're they're scared to throw their opinion out there that someone else might judge them. I think in today's business environment, um, especially as a leader, you have to be very thoughtful about how to be transparent uh, with your workforce and with all your stakeholders, You know, your executive board, 
um, your shareholders, the public, especially if you're publicly traded. Um, but I think that, you know, we've, we've almost taken it too far that, that we need to be more transparent as leaders and just people in our lives mm-hmm. because yeah. what's it going to hurt? I mean, are you going to piss a few people off? Sure. But yeah. <laughs> are you out to be everybody's friend? I mean, I'm not. No, well, I, and I don't think it's, that's our job is to be everybody's friends. I, and I, I don't also don't think it's, it's our job to give every kid a trophy. And I yeah. think we've been coming from that for a long time. And therefore, that's been a real issue for us. I mean, you know, I had an issue yesterday where I was talking with an employee, not not a bad thing or anything, but I was talking to somebody and they said, well, I really don't want to talk about that because I don't want to throw them under the bus. I go, well, what do you mean throw them under the bus? Are you, are you maliciously just going to push them? Because if, if you're telling me the truth, if you're telling me what's a, what this issue is about, well, then I can solve it. But if you don't, then then you're going to code it in a way that I can't fully understand the issue. And so it's almost like you're going to lie back to me because you think you need to put some filter. I just don't understand, which which really means people aren't being authentic in the conversations. And so what does being authentic mean to you? Well, I think um, being authentic gets confused a lot with being original and being original nowadays means you're disruptive. Um, at least this is my perspective. So mm-hmm. I, I, for me, really what authentic means is being true to yourself. We, uh, when I was a, gosh, I think I was a freshman in college and uh, I was the first person to graduate from Creighton University, uh, go Blue Jays, with a degree in business ethics. And in one of our ethics classes, a gentleman came into our class. He was in the C-suite, uh, at the C-suite level within Union Pacific, which is headquartered in Omaha, uh, where mm-hmm. we were. And he said, and that's a railroad for those people that don't know that aren't from the Midwest and don't understand how your goods get shipped across country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he said, do you know what I keep in my breast pocket of my, my jacket always have since I started my career. And we're all like, Oh, you know, I don't know, mints or your business card or whatever. And he said, no, it's my letter. A flask, a flask of whiskey, maybe. A flask maybe of a flask. whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kleenex. Um, and he said, no, it was my letter of resignation. Cause he said, if anyone was ever, if any organization or person was going to challenge, uh, my, my morals, my moral compass, that wasn't a company I was willing to work for. And so I, I, I really, man, that just stuck with me. And I think being authentic mm-hmm. is all about, um, you know, standing on your principles. Of course, there's a bit about knowing, picking your battles and, and obviously being respectful of other people's opinions, but, I really think being authentic, as far as leadership goes and being a, a hero leader, is you, you have to lead the charge and believe in your gut when you go to bed at night that you mean what you say. Well, I think that's it's, it's spot on. How do you think or what are some ways that you find authenticity? I mean, you, you can't just like like drink a drink for it, I don't think, you know. So what are the ways that you find that to be authentic? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, I think the best way to find out uh, how you're authentic to other people or how it shows up um, or, or what it is that's important enough to you that you'll stand up for it is to challenge yourself, go outside of your comfort zone, have conversations with people that you're not comfortable about, bring mm-hmm. up things that, that you know people are going to disagree with you on. Uh, don't surround yourself with people who are just of your kind and mind. 
Uh, I think that's the best way to learn how to be authentic is because if you're in a conversation with somebody and, and they say black and you say white, you have to decide, do I really, really, really mean white? And if I do, what am I going to mm-hmm. say to prove to not only other people, but myself that I mean it? So I think that's yeah. the best way is to engage in uh, challenging conversations with people who don't always agree with you. I think that's spot on. In fact, you'll find that that white has many shades, right? Yeah. Especially the more you have those conversations, as, as does black. And, and I, it's an interesting theme because this is in the book pretty heavily, where I talk about diversity and inclus- and being inclusive in cultures and that hero, great hero companies are very much inclusive and diverse. And diverse in terms of not just the color of people's skins and whether you're man, a male or female, your sexual orientation or, or whatever, whatever might be along those lines, but certainly in thought. Because I find that the more diverse we are, the more inclusive we are. And the more inclusive we are, the more diverse we are. And so I think that gets back to that, you know, you mentioned earlier about that gentleman from Union Pacific about having that moral compass. And and I think that helps us by having disagreements, by having arguments, by having uh, healthy debate. It gets us to a greater moral compass. And I don't want to say, I don't know if I'd use the word moral, but value-based compass. Maybe that's a better word. Because my morals are different than yours and my values are different, but I can usually if I have good values, I can be inclusive of other people's opinions, even if I think you're an idiot. Yeah. Do you do you have do you ever have conversations like that where you have a just totally just dis- like like you like you're thinking you're talking to this person like, man, I I don't want you over for dinner, but I love having a discussion with you. Oh, all the time. I man, I love to argue. Uh and and really for the sake yeah. of just understanding someone else's uh or debate rather, I guess. Just for the sake of understanding somebody else's perspective. Um it, I man, I treasure those moments because the mm-hmm. and and I think it's great when you can find other people who invite the the conversation too and and so you can say, Well, Tell me more. Actually, my business partner and I, uh, Rachel, have conversations like that all the time because we we see the world um, well similarly enough to work together, but definitely in very different ways. So it forces us out of our comfort zone and to say, well, what what are you talking about, or why do you say that, or what does this even mean? Um, and have a great conversation, and we both have an opportunity to grow. And don't you find that those conversations put you in a clear understanding of who you are and what you're about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it it gives you an opportunity to understand what you're not about. I think that's the real treasure. That's a good statement. I like that statement because I I find myself most of the time, and I tell a lot of people this, I've been working on a new program that we've got here at the Hero Club and the C-Suite Network. And in that discussion, I've been telling people that many times the things we're going to find out by working together are things we don't want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is, which is, I think really good because it's like, no, I know, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I don't want to do that. And I think that's a good kind of conversation. How important is finding that authenticity to, to like your company culture and to your bottom line? Yeah, we talk about that in our business all the time. And that that's kind of the very essence of uh, how we support our clients. And that's the thing we start with always is your value statement. And uh, the part in the book, in the hero factor that I just love is where you talk all about, I don't really give a shit what your value statement says, what the words say. 
You know, I mean, effectively, they all have the same sort of premise where, you know, we're going to go forth and, mm-hmm. and change the world and be, well, now environmentally sound, safety conscious, and make sure that, you know, every, there's gluten-free options in the cafeteria or whatever they all say. Uh, but it doesn't matter about, it, it's about what it feels like. Are you living those values as a leader? And yeah. and I, I think that's, uh, it, I, I know if you're not, if you're not doing it, nobody's buying it. If you, if you don't drink your Kool-Aid, nobody else is going to drink it. So I think it is the most integral piece of being a successful leader and having a successful organization. Do you live your values? Heck yeah. So our core values within our organization are uh, leverage the energy of your people. Um, Philanthropy and fun. I'm really good at those ones. Uh, I'm good at the other ones Mm -hmm. too, but, uh, but that's, that's what we're all about is helping. I mean, we actually, we created our business and then we created our values so that we really knew what it was we wanted to do. So it seems probably a little bit backwards, but we did it that way intentionally so that we could practice what we were going to preach before we put the words on the wall. Do you think you fall short of it? Oh yeah. Once in a while. I mean, certainly nobody's perfect. Um, I think that uh, there are days where we don't have fun. Uh, There are days where you got your head down and you're working on something that, like you said, you don't want to do. Or there are days where you've been traveling for five days in a row and the weather's crummy and everybody's a little bit cranky and we're not kind to each other. Um, and, and there mm-hmm. are times where if, if we have debates and it turns into a heated debate, you know, we're not actually taking the time to leverage each other's energy and actually think about what's best for the business. So yeah, I, I think, um, good organizations fall short, but you know, th- there's also the lessons and failure. So I think it, it really creates yet another opportunity to grow. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that that you have values and you live those values. You might not always live up to them exactly the way you want. Like, you know, even in as I was doing the audio for the Hero Factor, um, one there are parts of it that makes me want to make me want to cry because of the the kinds of stories. There are other ones that want to make me just um, just go punch somebody, (laughs) uh, which I actually tell that story in the book. And so, but what I find myself is, man, as as good as I think we are we're still not as good as what we could mm-hmm. be. And, you know, and I think I loved your comments just a second ago. Sometimes we get a little pissy. Sometimes we get a little, you know, we get a little grumpy. We get a little this, a little that, you know, but that's still not living outside of your values. It just means you could do a better mm-hmm. job. Right. You know, and no one died. You know, you're going to have some times where it's just like, it's just not, you, and you make a mistake here or there, but that doesn't mean you're not mm-hmm. trying all the time. Well, and I think the real great thing about an authentic environment within, um, within an organization is that if everyone lives authentically, then it gives you an opportunity to say, man, I'm having a bad day and I'm really crabby and this is why I'm pissed. And maybe it doesn't have anything to do with work. It could be a kid. It could be a dog. It could be, you know, whatever your mother-in-law. Um, but you mm-hmm. can say that and that person can say, all right, cool. Can I help? Um, and if not, you want to talk about it or do you want me to leave you alone and let's just get our work done? Or just leave you alone. Yeah, that's okay. It's all right. I need yeah, cave time every like, once in a while. Yeah, so I think alone. that's another really great result of having a, having an authentic uh, organization is that you can you can use it both ways. So I know you grew up what we'd call West River, <laughs> um, which is the other part of the state and where I kind of grew up. And do you think that had a bigger uh, impact on you being more authentic because of the way you were raised out there as a, you know, as I want to say cowboy, cowgirl? 
and meaning, you know, just, just like it is what it is and there's no sugar coat. Yeah. You know, yes, yes. I think it had an impact. I think I didn't really, um, I didn't respect it the way I do now when I was younger until I started meeting people who Mm -hmm. didn't grow up like I did. And they're like, man, that your work ethic or your set of values or you are really passionate about certain things. And to me, I'm like, what? Yeah, because that's how we were raised. And that's, you, that's right. That's the way you do it. I mean, it. <laughs> and I think the reality of it is, you know, when something dies on the ranch, it dies. And when something lives and grows, it lives mm-hmm. and grows. And there's all and then all the other nuances of of the industry. But, you know, I mean, like you said, like it's a face value uh education. And so you, you learn to roll with the punches. And I do think it has served me well in understanding who I am uh, as a business person and a human. And you still practice some of that oh, yeah. stuff, don't you? I mean, you're still up to Robin yep. and Brandon. I mean, I saw some pictures on your Facebook Yep, going to the ranch on Friday after the holiday to help dad get some old cows to the sale barn. So, yep. Is that right? There you go. You know, I see. I, I was going to say you're not a vegetarian, are you? Uh, no, I mean I love vegetables, but I'm damn. I was not allowed to be a vegetarian. Actually, the only thing we ever ate when I was a kid uh, were, were things that we raised. And my grandma always had a big garden, and my dad would say, "Could we have chicken this or have pork chops?" And he'd say, "Do we raise pigs?" And the answer, of course, was always no. So we ate beef. But that's what we ate. Yeah, ate beef. I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I eat all things that eat vegetables. That's what I do. That's me. That's what. Hey, uh, I just went. I, I had to set up that joke. It took me a few minutes, but I got it there. Being, an, I, you know, one of the biggest things that surprised me about you, you're in HR or were in HR. And now you're more about building cultures and teams and groups and, and driving successful innovation and projects which is all related to people always. But I, what surprised me was that you got into HR. I mean, that you actually went to school for it and took courses in it and did that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, uh, well, so my- This doesn't seem, doesn't, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, it just doesn't seem, as I get to know you and I've known you, doesn't seem like, wow, really? That's not what I would have expected. Yeah, when I, so when I started working at the, the gold mine uh, as the HR manager and I would, you know, see people that I knew- from when I was younger, and they'd say, "Oh, what are you doing now?" I said, "Well, I work up at, at uh, the gold mine." No kidding, are you driving truck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I definitely. <laughs> I'm the manager of people. I'm the HR manager. They let you be in charge of people, and how do you? What? What? And I'm like, what the hell? I I thought it was a natural fit, but uh, I. So the thing that's interesting for me is that to me, HR is all about understanding what motivates people. Now that's sort of a duh statement and it's like kind of bullshit bingo lately, but truly actually, to, and then to talk to people about those things and be real with them. If you're in an office with a bunch of finance people, you're probably not going to drop a lot of F-bombs. Uh, but if you're if you're in a, a safety meeting with a bunch of minors and they think this policy you just rolled out is horseshit, you, you might swear a little bit to get on their good side. And I'll tell you, I didn't always get a high five for that from my supervisors mm-hmm. or the corporate office. They'd say, you can't talk like that, you know, in front of people, they won't respect you. And I said, well, I already know they don't respect you. And so swearing's not helping you one way or the other. They like me because they know they can trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least if I'm swearing, I'm swearing. <laughs> They're still not going to respect yeah. you. That's good. Yeah, you're still going to be ugly. There you go. Yeah. All right. That's a great way. That's a great HR statement. Wait, wait, by the way, which gold mine was it? Uh, Wharf. 
Oh, Wharf, yeah, Wharf Resources, yeah. Uh, one of the big ones. Yeah, there was a we had, for those people that don't know that uh, there's more gold that was mined in South Dakota than any other place in the in the North America for a long, long time. Yes. So, what was what was one of the most surprising things that you learned being in HR? There were lots, but I think that the resounding surprise, the thing that kind of always bit me in the ass a little bit um, and hurt my feelings, uh, was that you you want to love and care for your people and you do it because it's the right thing to do. And, and it was easy for me to be authentic in doing that because that's who I am. But boy, you always want to be a little bit guarded. Um, you, you, when you're running an organization, especially in the uh, environment we have today with legal battles and legal issues and opportunity for suing people, um, you, you just, Make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's because you never know when somebody who's, you know, telling you you're the best HR person they've ever had is going to be the one whose name is on the top of a notice from MSHA or the Department of Labor. So I, mm-hmm. I think. Or, or, or attorney's yeah, office. One of yeah. the two. I think that was the thing that always surprised me the most is, you know, the people you'd never expect would be turning in some claim because everybody's entitled to, to thinking that they're getting a fair cut or not. And so even when you think you're doing a good job, make sure you're doing the right job. That's the lesson, I guess, in HR for me. Sounds like you took that personal. Yeah, man. I mean, these are the people that this is my fam. I mean, that's your family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're running your business, right, it better damn feel like that. I guess that's my opinion, but I spent more time with those people than I did with my, my daughters who were growing up. I mean, in the days that I was at work, I saw those people a lot more. And, and, and the other thing in HR, probably in leadership generally, but especially in HR is that you get to see, you get to see all the things about that person's life. If they get married, if they get divorced, if they have a baby, if they have some sort of medical issue come in, if they need counseling, if they, it doesn't matter what it is. So, I mean, I knew every one of those people, over 200 people, on a real personal level. Uh, and so it's like having, you know, it's like being sucker punched by your own sister when you come around the hall for nothing. I mean, sometimes I had it coming for sure mm-hmm. with my sisters, but for, for no reason at all, I mean, it stings. Yeah. yeah. But, and and I, I also think HR sees the opposites of everything, meaning they get the worst of it and they get the best of it, but they don't get everything in between. So that's my opinion. Would you, would you believe that that's the same? Would you agree to that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that HR has really, the, the, the HR department, globally speaking, has started to take a real seat at the table, if you will, um, at the executive level within the management team, because um, the world is starting to see, for some reason, I don't know why it took so long or what, you know what the cycles are. Apparently we're in a cycle where the world is starting to realize that people are the thing that run the business and they're important. Um, and if you, if you keep them happy and engaged, then your business runs better. And HR has the insight on that. The, like you said, the good, the bad, the otherwise. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. that HR people definitely, you, you always see a different thing. And, and, you know, somebody might have really poor, this is what we talk about all the time when we do training and coaching. I mean, you have somebody who has really bad attendance. Well, their supervisor and their supervisor's supervisor just think, geez, Jenny can never get to work on time. She must be an idiot. And the reality is, you know, Jenny's a single mom um, 
you know, who just found out she had breast cancer or something. And you're like, I mean, not that you make excuses. Accountability is important. But to have a heart, you know, we talk all the time about employing empathy and accountability as a strategy. Um, and, and I think HR gets the inside track on that. Do you think HR is doing a good job overall? Because I, I don't know that I would always put them in the best light. And I'm being real honest that I've been in a lot of operations now. I'm always in a lot of turnarounds or have been. And I don't always put HR, I've always seen them as an impediment, not an asset for the most part. And in most things I've ever had to do. Uh yeah, in short, yes, I agree. I think that um, I think that the the issue is that HR started out as a somebody to manage comp and Ben. You know, somebody has to be able to make sure that people yeah. are getting paid what they should be paid and that we're being fair with the rest of the market. Um, and then it was like, oh, by the way, while you're doing some people stuff, could you take care of the insurance? And oh, by the way, will you take care of now training and development? And then, oh, well, we're doing a merger and acquisition. Our operations people are all really busy with that. Um, so, hey, could you just make sure that the people get some sort of memo about that this is happening? And so traditional HR uh, professionals are like, uh, can I put it in the form of an offer letter? Like they, that is not their wheelhouse. That's like asking me to go be an engineer at the mine. Not going to happen. I don't know what the hell I'd be doing. Um, and so, yes, I think they're an impediment. I don't you know, I don't think it's intentional. I think that they have sort of been put in a role that um, has been added to and garbaged on a lot. And no, and, and unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of time spent trying to undo that. And so organizations are st- sort of left with this hodgepodge of people who are sort of experts and really learned, you know, on the job. And now they're trying to lead major changes. And a lot of times when we talk, because we talk to these HR people when we're doing our uh, client calls and they're like, yeah, I don't know, man, I was doing, you know, compensation research last week. And then the COO came and dumped this thing on my plate because we're buying a place in Canada. And so now I guess I'm going to learn to speak (laughs) French Canadian. So I agree with you. It's a mess. Hey, well, listen, you and your partner, uh, Dr. Rachel M.K. Headley, have a brand new book out called IX Leadership, Create High Five Cultures and Guide Transformation. How's the book going? Great. We did our uh, book launch at the South Dakota Center for Enterprise Opportunity event, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, lots of people are saying they love it and it's changing lives. And that was our real goal. So we're very pleased. Well, I enjoyed it. I sure did. And I loved finding out that of the personality types, mine is the fixer. I'm a fixer. I could have told you that, but it really helps me to understand. And by the way, we find out a lot of our Hero Club members uh, that we've done, we've made them go through a bunch of the tests that you guys use in the book itself. And we're finding out most of them are fixers, which we, where most people would have said that most CEOs are in all four quadrants, but we find out that Hero Club members with great values are fixers. And that's kind of a surprising uh, insight that we've got. So Meg, I got to thank you so much for being with me today and for being right here on the Hero Factor with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Hero Factor podcast on C-Suite Radio. Find this and other podcasts like this on c-suiteradio.com.
Okay, at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. I enjoyed that conversation. You know, I always love it when I get to talk to fellow South Dakotans. I don't always get to do that because, hey, there's not that many of them. And there's so many other business people out there in the world. But it's always fun to talk to real people. And that's what I love about South Dakota and being authentic because we are a bunch of authentic people. And how cool it was that she worked at a gold mine. A gold mine. I bet you never have heard of a person. I bet you've never met a person that actually worked at a real live gold mine, a gold miner. I mean, not a gold digger. We know some gold diggers, but a gold miner. Now, here's what I learned. If they trust you, you'll get the real stuff. So building trust, being authentic, okay? Being sincere, being competent, and being reliable. Three, three important tenets to being real. So there it is right there. That's what I learned on the hero factor. And I ask that you be real and get out there and tell people what you think of this show and tell more people about how they can find out about the hero factor right here on C-Suite Radio. This has been Jeff Hazlett, and I thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.